Welcome to On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. Today we will be talking to Mark Castagnini, Mark the Hammer, as part of our series on Australian Muay Thai history. As always, if you'd like to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram, Matt Lucas Muay Thai, or email me at a period Matt period Lucas at gmail.com. Thanks to all the people that have supported me so far, sharing the podcast, leaving reviews, etc. If you'd like, to leave a review that would be super helpful you can do so in the itunes store after years of hard work studying and being in the game i publish a muay thai encyclopedia on fighting in thailand a guide to the sport in the motherland it's been about a year but it still holds true the clear guide goes over scoring matchmaking picking gyms fight styles gambling and much more it also has a series of interviews with long-term expat fighters including Michael Savas, Willie Whipple, Angela Chang, Lisa Brealey, and others. The country is going to open back up. Shows have started already. So things are really going to develop. And if you are a foreign fighter or you're interested in the sport in Thailand, you should read this book. You can get it off of Amazon as an ebook or a print copy. Again, that's On Fighting in Thailand, A Guide to the Sport in the Motherland. And thanks, as always, to my sponsors, Nakmoy Legends, for their continued support of the show. They create some great Muay Thai apparel with portions of the proceeds going back to the legends they celebrate. All the superstars have been paid for their images as well. You can check out their gear at www.nakmoylegends.com. Use On Fighting to get 15% off your order. Thanks, as always, to Patrick Rivera for helping me get this show started. I'm really excited for how long it's been going and some of the great content that I've produced so far. So a little bit on our guest today, Mark the Hammer Castini has done it all in this sport. He's commentated, he's fought, he's owned gyms, he's helped out with shows, he's done promotions, he's basically done it all. And we'll go over that from his early fight days to his time with uh, Blitz, an international kickboxer, some of his commentating gigs, uh, his gym histories, and more. So definitely stay tuned in. He's a wealth of knowledge and has a real strong perspective about how Muay Thai is in the world. So without further ado, the interview with Mr. Mark Castini. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking your time out. How are you doing? Good, man. Thank you for asking and uh, for showing interest. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, good, good to be talking to you. Yeah, so let's get started um, right away. You began your Muay Thai career out of uh, karate, actually. Um, you were doing Kaikoshin karate for a while. You hurt your knuckle. Then you segued yep. into Muay Thai. What was Muay Thai like when you first started? Well, look, to be honest with you, it was somewhat unknown uh, back in the early days. My segue from Kyokushin uh, Karate uh, to the Bob Jones Corporation. Uh, I basically just entered the tournament and uh, did placed well. I've never, never fought uh, Muay Thai. I just had a Kyokushin background. My leg kicks and knees and so forth got me through. Um, so I got invited to train with. Uh, uh, with their gym, uh, with the gym, well, one of the gyms, and uh, went from there. I was taught on, a, you know, the Bob Jones and the Bob, Bob uh, Zendo Kai system, 
uh, freestyle, you know, they had, a, had a, I suppose, a, an offshoot uh, of, their, of their club, their clubs that, that focused on Muay Thai. And, you know, that was, you know, they had, they had links with Sijatong Jim uh, in Thailand. And, uh, you know, it was a very basic system, but it was it was adequate and it, and it uh, gave you a good understanding of your basic elbow strikes, knee strikes, um, which which is what I needed. Um, and, and the, you know, my boxing skills weren't great because uh, Jokshin uh, isn't, isn't really a, the boxing style. Um, just basic body punches, but uh, so I had to brush up on my boxing skills, and then I had to learn um, or, or adapt rather uh, my elbow striking and my knees. So the the clinching with the knees, I suppose, was the major difference in that in the fact of um, if I could speak more on broader terms, is when Muay Thai started to be exposed here in the very early shows with um, some of the Aussies, you know, stepping in to fight Thai boxing. So they they had done limited training. Some, you know, you know tried tried uh, out different gyms and trained with uh, different trainers. Had different understandings of the correct way to, to grapple and clinch and knee. Um, but geez, I think in the early stages, the grappling was almost the undoing of Thai boxing getting any sort of um, interest here mm. uh, from from the sporting uh, from the spectators because the, the clinching wasn't clean. It was mm. really just standing wrestling, really. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you'd, you'd often hear the crowd saying, uh, what, it's hugging, stop hugging, <laughs> stop grabbing it. You know, fight clean, you know, they'd, they'd be booing the crowd every time the fighters got into a clinch. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the early shows, I've got to say, there'd, there'd be literally people that would just hate, hate it, you know. Mm-hmm. And because it wasn't executed well, and, and the knees, you know, to get good knee strikes in, you've got to know your distancing. Yeah. So you're not just you know not just slapping the legs. You're, you're drilling the knees into the body properly, and you're, you're chambering your hips correctly, and so forth. Well, none of that was really action back then. It was very, very raw and very rough and ready. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't really a great spectator sport. <laughs> mind you for the mind you for the fighters that were in there, you know. Taking taking part in the combat, but nevertheless you're still getting knee in all sorts of places you weren't used to. So uh, yeah, so that, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest uh, sport to watch back then, right? Uh, because everyone was learning as they went. Yeah, let's be honest. You know, it doesn't matter how you know how much you thought you knew. You never knew as much as as the great exponents uh, that were you know, fighting in Thailand and, and executing things very dynamically. So, you know, it was very clumsy in its early stages here, I have to say, which was hard to, uh, to then um, get any sort of uh, credibility. Mm. Uh, so if that, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, it does. I can expand a bit more on, on how uh, the strategy I took to, uh, to change that um, perspective or to change that mindset um, with the media when I... Yeah, when we get around to it. Yeah, for sure. And just in terms of time period, uh, when was this? Uh, I'd have to say, was it probably early 90s, late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s? And you mainly fought at Cruiserweight in the late 80s and early 90s? Yeah, I was fighting around Cruiserweight. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, that was my preferred weight. Mm-hmm. From memory, I started fighting really in the, in the 90s, early 90s. Um, the 80s, I was fighting predominantly um, the full contact uh, karate. Uh, the knuckles, the bare knuckle karate. So that was that was the transition. It was around that time, it was early nineties when when I had that hand injury, 
and I had to fight with gloves because he um, I wasn't allowed, allowed to fight without without or bare knuckle anymore. My mm -hmm. hands were too busted up. Mm -hmm. And were most of the fights um, Muay Thai mod rules, or you were sort of alluding to the grappling not being that yeah. smooth? Yeah, it was no many rules. <laughs> like, to be honest with you, you know, going back to the late '80s, uh, early '90s, there used to be above waist kickboxing mm -hmm, rules. There, mm -hmm. was, there was free, you know, there was freestyle kung fu rules, uh, which was basically you know a hybrid of kickboxing and kung fu. Um, then there was. Um, you know, there was modified tie, which was no elbows. Even the officials didn't really know how to handle <laughs> a lot of the tie boxing back in the day, you know. So it was up to the promoter's discretion to promote something that they thought the crowd wanted to see and the fighters would undertake. Mm -hmm. So because there wasn't so many tie boxing gyms, but there was a lot of kickboxing gyms, that's why kickboxing was a, as prominent as it was. The forerunners, tie boxing in Australia really came out of Perth, mm -hmm. uh, Western Australia, and Queensland, Mm. But the um, the southern states, Sydney, um, you know, or New South Wales, Victoria, Melbourne, Victoria, Sydney, New South Wales, really were really big kickboxing states. And it's only been, you know, probably the, the you know, I, I don't know, maybe the last somewhat 15 years, I suppose, that, that because they've become more prevalent. Um, but before that, you know, Queensland and Perth really ruled the, the nation with regards to having the best Thai boxing fights. Uh, and the southern states were predominantly uh, kickboxing or K1. You know, mm -hmm. then obviously, with the resurgence of K1, the popularity and the big money of K1, and guys like San Greco and so forth fighting in K1, that's where fighters went. You know, let's face it, fighters are going to go, or, or combat sport athletes are going to go where the money's at. Right. Which is why there's a, a bit of a surge towards MMA now. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, even fighting in the bigger organizations, you, you won't make big money um, fighting Muay Thai. Uh, then you look at one championship, you know, they, they have a, a you know, Host of different rules for different fighters, mm -hmm. um, so it's not it's not pure Muay Thai that you're MMA, it's small gloves, you know. So right. the promoters the promoters pivot to where they think the audience is going to want to see, mm -hmm. and then the fighters in turn will pivot to where the money's at, mm -hmm. the money and the glory. So um, yeah, so back to your original question, the rules were, were a real mixed bag depending on the on the state and the show and what fighters were competing, uh, but general rule of thumb is modified by uh, Muay Thai rules is um, no elbows, just mm -hmm. knees allowed um, and, and kicks and punches of course. And then your own career, your accomplishments, you won a WKA belt, correct, at Cruiserweight? Yeah. You you had a couple... That's, That's, That's correct. Yeah. What was that bout like? Okay. Um, what sort of... Can you talk about your own career for a little bit? Yeah, so look, you know, as I said, I, I came through as, as basically a traditional karate car, you know, Kilpushin is uh, renowned for being the hardest karate style. And I think generally, to be honest with you, it's one of the hardest styles, uh, you know, uh, of fighting you know, of the traditional arts. Um, now, of course, with mixed martial arts, it's a whole new level. But um, back back in the day, it was known when, when Masuyama was alive and uh, the, the, the organization you know, had millions of practitioners worldwide. It was a big organization and, and their style was very hard. So I competed in that purely because that's where I, fe I fell into. Then, uh, as, as we mentioned earlier, with, the, with my injury, I had to I had to evolve to look at different fighting on the advice of, uh, of, of uh, you know my doctor. So obviously the transition, I, I was predominantly uh, fighting and competing in uh, kickboxing and, and uh, boxing, and, and I, you know the kickboxing uh, came fairly 
fairly easily for me because I was, I was one of my strongest weapons was my leg kick. So you know, having, having fought kickboxing, then I, I obviously established a bit of a relationship with Stefan Fox uh, from the World Muay Thai Council and the WMC camp there in Samui. We organised pretty much uh, some of the first tours to the camp to train. Uh, and of which I took some people over, and it became an annual thing for me. I ran, a, I ran a heap of these tours, mm. so I got to go over and train, uh, you know, pure Muay Thai, uh, and you know, I suppose started fighting here. Oh, well, actually, I, I backtrack. I, I was already doing the Muay Thai through the Bob Jones Corporation here, which I had a basic understanding of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I migrated through, um, you know, from the BJC to my kickboxing, and then there was no, there was no real Muay Thai when I started. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd already learned some basic grappling and learned, learned some of the basics, but there was no, there was no events that were, were promoting uh, Thai boxing in Melbourne when I was fighting. Um, so I'd, I'd say I was one of the first guys here in Melbourne to actually, um, you know, start fighting Muay Thai in Melbourne um, back in the day, uh, and then uh, and then sort of fast forward and started going over to um, to Thailand at the WMC camp and. Uh, you know, training over there and further, you know, working with the ties over there. I was in the purest form and, and you know, sort of witnessing how, uh, you know, how to, how to click correctly. These little, the little fine, finer details that we really didn't know here, mm-hmm. um, you know, then we started to bring back and, um, and implement it here. Uh, more and more people got interested in it. But there was always a battle with one uh, and kickboxing because it was so big. Mm-hmm. So you know, as I said, that uh, Muay Thai was was there was an interest for it, but in the southern states, on certain parts of Australia, it didn't really generate much groundswell because everyone's sort of fame and glory and money has been important. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until the kickbox or the K1 organization slowed down that, that Muay Thai didn't then come to the fore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in you know, Queensland was always strong under Muay, with Muay Thai. They, they didn't adapt kickboxing at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that was because some of the earlier guys uh, that started uh, Thai boxing in Australia were Queensland-based. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of, we're, we're Queenslanders or, you know, we're, we're tougher because <laughs> we do Muay Thai and you guys do kickboxing. And the same with Perth, because uh, mm-hmm. guys like Juan Martí uh, over in Perth were promoting the big show, the big shows at um, at the casino. I think with Jimmy in Perth. Mm-hmm. So again, the shows that were being done were big, they mm-hmm. were glamorous, and then that and that's where fighters gravitated to. Because in those states, no one cared about kickboxing. There was no money. There was no right. interest. Most were big on kickboxing, so that's where that's where you know the fighters went to, to for opportunity. So yeah, I suppose. The promotions dictated what was popular in the states back. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of time again, when did you first start working with Stefan Fox and the WMC? When were you taking the trips out? And was Stefan based in Australia and then relocated to Thailand? Yeah, Stefan had uh, North Queensland Martial Arts supplies. He had a, a gym and uh, like a supply a supply company, which was probably one of the first people to mail order actually back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're still mail order, you know, twins gloves, uh, you know, windy gloves. You know, we're still, you know, some of these, some of these, uh, you know, more obscure brands that, that people only in the know would, would want. 
um, you know, the fair fix started back, you know, back then it was, it was, well, it wasn't really that well known. So he was selling that uh, through his store and uh, promoting the shows up there uh, in Mackay. Um, so that's sort of how I got to know him. So, you know, through, through uh, dealing with him uh, on that level, then, then uh, you know, then he moved to Thailand and we still maintained our, uh, I suppose, our connection and worked together. And then, as I said, that's when the tours started and uh, we started travelling, uh, you know, annually over. And the, I think my first tour might have had, you know, a dozen people. Uh, and then, you know, in the end, I, I would have had 40 or 50 mm. plus going with me every wow. time I did a tour. So I took, it, it really grew. Um, you know, we'd, we'd fly into to Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'd, we'd train in Bangkok. You know, we'd do some sightseeing, go to the Grand Palace, uh, you know, the river, you know, go to the Wattle Run and, and stuff like that. Uh, then we'd go to Samui and train, and then we'd organise a fight event in, uh, in Samui. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old stadium there uh, in, in Chowe, uh, and then we'd go back to Bangkok and uh, you know finish with our, I suppose, a bit more sightseeing and shopping. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, we train a little bit in Bangkok at gyms like Eminent Air and so on, and so, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So there were those gyms that we'd go to, and you know, sort of training in Bangkok was always very good training in the islands as well. So mm. um, it give you a real, really full rounded experience <laughs> yeah. of uh, you know how I suppose the, the rawness of uh, of the guys that, that train and fight in, uh, in Bangkok as opposed to the guys on the island. And when was the, that you started the first trips over to uh, WMC? Yeah, probably about 95, 96, mm-hmm. when we started to do the big, the big tours, yeah. And then uh, when did you start working with Blitz, uh, which uh, published International Kickboxer? I started with Blitz um, in 1990, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh, a long on. time ago. We, there was only two of us, and all we had was Blitz, which was a, a quarterly newsprint magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we grew that company to have, you know, a dozen uh, monthly titles, um, everything from, um, you know, Blitz Martial Arts to Soccer International, Golf mm-hmm. Magazine, Triathlon mm-hmm. Magazine, um, you know, Ironman Bodybuilding Magazine. So we developed a, quite a big uh, stable of, of uh, sports, health and fitness titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we started we started that basically just with one quarterly uh, martial art magazine mm-hmm. and grew from there. Um, and, and how Kickboxer came about was uh, Blitz used to have a section called Ring Talk, which was basically all the kickboxing stories and, and Muay Thai. Um, and it was such a popular uh, part of the magazine that I suppose it spawned its own magazine. I did a, a reader survey. Uh, we did a market survey and, um, you know, analytics and... Um, I suppose I suggested that we then uh, branch that, that combat sport to have its own title. Uh, we did the same with Taekwondo because Taekwondo was very big back then when uh, you know, when it was emerging as an Olympic sport. So, um, and then we and then another magazine that we in later years launched was obviously Inside MMA. So Blitz itself was a very holistic martial art magazine, but the readers somewhat dictated if if other titles could could have grown from it. Uh, depending on what the interest was, so uh, definitely uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing uh, was was huge. Uh, you know, had a huge popularity across the whole martial arts spectrum uh, when we were putting that magazine out. Yeah, I actually remember reading International Kickboxer in Oakland, California, yeah. in like two thousand five or six. Uh, really yeah, yeah, yeah. showed a lot of um, information about 
you know, the contender Asia and a lot of other things, you know, I obviously didn't have much idea about what was going on, but, you know, now I distinctly recall, you know, a lot of people's names uh, because of it. So can yeah. you, can you talk a little bit about International Kickboxer as a magazine and what it was like? Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, having worked for a magazine, you know a lot of history of the sport. Yeah, look, as I said, the, the idea, the, my idea to do the International Kickboxer magazine was because the interest was growing and some of these fighters um, had real no forum uh, for exposure, um, nor did the promoters um, to promote their events. So... You know, we, we really, you know, you've got to think back and, and some of the younger listeners will, be, will find this mind-blowing, but there was no Instagram, there was no <laughs> Facebook, there was no, you know, this is sort of pre-internet type, you know. <laughs> um, so the only way anyone would ever know of an athlete, number one, if they were on TV, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mainstream uh, media, radio or magazine or newspapers. Mm-hmm. So when you have a specialised magazine, uh, we went about highlighting and profiling the, the main players of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, the, you know, there was some, you know, the, 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 the question was often asked, you know, what should I do to get exposure? And as a fighter, number one, you have to be entertaining, mm-hmm. um, obviously. Uh, you've got to have a personality. You've got to, you've got to have a story. Um, and, and that's really... These are really the fighters that we we grew, you know, that become popular. So mm-hmm. People wanted to read about them. I wanted to know more about them. I wanted to see photos of them. You know, I, I used to do ringside photography myself as well. Mm. So I always knew that you know the, the best shots are taken off the break. You mm-hmm. know, so as soon as as soon as the fight is tangled, the referee steps back. You break it. You know, some one of the fighters is going to do something spectacular because they've got the. Uh, the room to do it right um, so you know capture good shots and then when you see a fighter throwing a beautifully executed head kick it's like then the, you know you, you highlight that in the magazine and people would look at that and go wow look at this look at this guy's skill <laughs> you know who is he you know so mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. how that's how it would grow mm-hmm. and you had uh rob cox doing some correspondence for a while correct yeah so rob reached out you know we were made aware of robbie he was a look media resident, uh, you know, all the time. So he'd send photos in and submissions, you know. And it's a classic example of someone, you know, if you want something, you, you've got to get off your ass and go and get it, you know. Mm-hmm. So Rob, you know, really introduced himself to us, uh, would supply us with images, you know, was happy to write and and, and, and be our correspondent there. Mm-hmm. You, know, he would, you know, he didn't ask you know, he didn't ask for a lot of money at the start. He wasn't, it wasn't like he was doing it for the dollar, you know. He's just doing it because he loved it, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a difference, I suppose, if I could be a little bit more critical of, of then and now. You know, we fought. I mean, the most I ever got paid for a fight was two hundred and fifty dollars. You know, mm-hmm. I fought in, I fought in Thailand for a bottle of mint you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was my pay. You know, it's a bottle of scotch. You know, so but I loved it. You know, it was my life. It was my, the challenge was for me to get in and test myself against whoever was there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah there was no social media it was you know if, you, if someone took a picture of you you were lucky if you got mm-hmm. in a magazine you were you're a rock star yeah you know so you know now it's i think um you know the the, the martial arts spirit and, and you know obviously in thailand 
you know, people fighting fighting for this. Yeah. Yeah. There's no ego about it. They want to live. They want to feed their family. Yeah. That's why they fight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the big question is why do people fight? Why do people work for magazines back then? Why, you know, what was the interest in the sport? Mm-hmm. From the trainers, even you know these trainers that weren't getting, you know, didn't have hundreds of students. They were training in their garages. You know, I started in my garage. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, I, I did it for the pure love of wanting to train and and be immersed in the martial arts. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. because there was any big payday. Not because I was going to be a rock star, be the next Conor McGregor, and you know drive around in a Bentley. It's like <laughs> you want, if you wanted money back then. If you want money, you can't work. You know? Yeah, yeah, and for you, sure. And then you train after work because you love it. You don't train mm-hmm. after work because you're going to be a millionaire. Right. You know, I always just trained after. I, I always worked three jobs, you mm. know, and, and I added my training to that. So, you know, that's where the purity and the love for your martial art and for your, your combat sport is tested. Mm-hmm. You know, these days, you know, no, no disrespect because everyone's got to have a, you know, got to, you got to have ambition and goals and all of that. But I think people start to train for the wrong reasons. And then mm-hmm. they train for one or two years and they don't, you know, they become oaks and they don't get $50,000 a fight. And they're like, well, why am I getting banged up for nothing? Yeah. You know, I used to wear my, I used to wear my, my bruises with pride. Right. And, and get nothing for it, you know? Right. It was like, who, who's tough? How, how tough can you be? Right. Don't tell me how tough you are. Show me how tough you are. You know, get in the ring and fight hard. That's where you prove your worth as 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 a, as a warrior. You know. Right. Um, so I think the mentality's changed a lot now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, society generally has changed a lot more now. Um, but if I, you know, I don't want to be that guy that's always talking <laughs> about the old days. But yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm in I'm in both. You know. I'm, right. I've worked around the world in media, as you mentioned earlier. You know, I commentated the con- the contender. Yeah, you know, and that was live, you know, for Mark Burnett Productions. There was a, you know, millions and millions of viewers across the world. Yeah. Uh, so I've worked at the highest level of exposure in the sport, um, to to training out of my garage, and I've had every experience in my life. So you know, if wanted people want to talk to me about you know martial arts and stuff, I, I suppose I come from a slightly different, uh, slightly different perspective. Uh, and guys like Rob Cox, if we go back, we got our Rob. He, he wrote for the magazine because he loved it. You know, we were just trying to give Muay Thai the best exposure we could all around the world in whatever way we could. Right. Um, so I definitely want to touch on some of the commentating and uh, challenger, obviously. But uh, let's look at the kickboxer for a little bit. So what were some of the great yeah. moments for the magazine? And how do you think it sort of uh, shaped uh, how Muay Thai was viewed in Australia? Oh, look, if I go back to our sales figures, the biggest sales figures that that magazine had was when Contender Asia was on TV here on Fox, on Fox 8, which mm-hmm. was a cable TV network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had all the fighters on the cover. You know, the, the photos were professionally taken by the production company. Uh, you know, it lended itself to be, you know, a great topic of this guy for every fight fan, you know, mm-hmm. the head-to-heads, the elimination process, all of that. I mean, if you, you know, if you think about it, the contender was really the first Ultimate Fighter series. You know, mm-hmm. the Ultimate Fighter is what grew the UFC on TV. Yeah. Well, the contender really was a forerunner to that. And the contender boxing was really, you know, what, what people loved and what they tuned into because it was, 
you know, it's about the backstories. It's mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. you know, aligning yourself with one of the fighters and, oh, he's, he's, he's great. He's, you know, he's humble. He's a great fighter. And then you've got the cocky guy, you know. You, you've got the guys that are a little bit of, you know, smart asses. Like Zidoff. <laughs> so you get the, the heroes, the villains, you know, made mm-hmm. up of these stories. That's, mm-hmm. that's what builds, you know, you've got to build the story to, to, to promote anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I, you know, the big days was was then, you know, then, then the likes of John Wayne Parr, of course, you know, mm-hmm. um, the young Aussie kid, you know, that was was, um, you know, get, making waves around the world. Um, then there was, you know, there was other guys, the Scott Bannons and, um, you know, the Nuggets, and you know, there's, there was a host of other, you know, guys like Sam Greco and you know, Stan the Man, I think from kickboxing side. You know, Stan, uh, uh, Sam Greco fighting in K1 was always big news to mm-hmm. against the likes of Ernesto Boost and Peter Arts and, uh, you know, Bob Saps and you know, all these colourful characters. Mm-hmm. So how, how what makes a good promotion? Building characters. Yeah. Now, like, you know, if, if you look at the events around the world now, what do people follow? Fights are fights are fight. Every weekend there's a, there's a fight event on TV almost now. UFC was massive when they had the heroes, you know, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. you know, when they had the Chuck Liddells and, you know, yeah. the GSPs. Now there's a show every day, there's a fighter, some you know, some you don't, mm-hmm. some are good, some are not, you know, so, you know, the one championship, you know, we got lots of events, lots of fighters, some you know, some you don't. Mm-hmm. And I believe until until there's, a, there's a, some sort of a, you know, a backstory and, and People are educated as to how these fighters are coming down. What's their daily challenges? What's their story? Who are they fighting? You know, mm-hmm. who are they, who's their nemesis? You know, that's really what, what will garnish interest from the public mm-hmm. uh, and create the stories. I mean, I'm I'm the only fighter in this country ever to have his own TV show. It's yeah, no. TV. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I pitched that I pitched that show to Fox Sports for eight years before they said yes to it. <laughs> uh, and and my whole agenda to that was just to paint stories on the fighters you know you know did a story with kaylee reese who's obviously you know 10 times world champion kaylee you know and and one of the most marketable females in the sport in the world in mm-hmm. my opinion yeah uh, and, and everyone here loves her you know um you know now she's a mom living her own gym and so on and so forth but back then you know she was a good looking girl fighting full tie rules and just hard you know tough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know, telling her story, you know, making and then, and then putting her on hammer time and showing the backstories, mm-hmm. showing that fighters are, are just not all Neanderthals that, you know, can't string a word together, you know, <laughs> showing that these fighters are articulate, yeah. that they can, they can command respect through mm-hmm. the way they hold themselves and how they communicate to the public. That's really what my, my agenda on TV was. Yeah. You know, uh, the, I mean, these days it's, you know, some, sometimes things evolve a little bit, almost to WWE mm-hmm, states. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, and, and it's good to see some of the fighters not, not, uh, you know, being too abusive to each other and, right. and uh, insulting each other so much, uh, because it doesn't portray the sport in, in a light that the general public will want to be around. And that's, you know, if you're in the sport, is the one thing that people don't understand. If you're in the sport. You know what it is. You know that there's good people and there's bad people and this and that. But you have, you have an overall understanding that the sport is good. It's a martial art. It's challenging physically and mentally, blah, blah, blah. We know that. <laughs> yeah. Who, who doesn't know that? Mm-hmm. The people that we're trying to convince to watch it for the first time. Right. So if their first exposure to our sport or our martial art 
is two guys abusing each other's mothers and swearing and throwing pins at each other. What are they going to think about us? Right, think, right. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want my kids doing that. I don't mm-hmm. want, you know, you know 90% of the, of the world population don't, don't, don't care about Muay Thai or MMA or any of that. Mm-hmm. So you want that 90% to take an interest in it. How do you make them take an interest in it? You build the sport that has character, that has excitement, that has warriors, that has a backstory that engages people to want to know more. Mm-hmm. Like the golf, like the tennis, like, you know, the footy, you know, soccer. I mean, you know, look at the, the highest pay, the highest paid athletes in the world are not fighters, you know, of, of sorts. You know, when you look at um, the golfers and, the, you know, yeah. most per capita in a sport, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, professional athletes that make money, but the, the companies like Coca-Cola, and I myself have called companies like Pepsi and Coke and McDonald's to get sponsorship for events. And you know what? They all say the same thing. We don't want to be associated with a blood because it's not where we see our brand as being mm. fit, a good fit. So, mm. you know, we know we know in our sport that we're tough, we're good people, we have family we're family men or family women. You know, we, we love our we love our families, we are loyal to our friends. We've got all those good attributes. But if we don't portray ourselves right in the marketplace, then then the mainstream uh, I suppose advertisers and, and corporations won't won't align, align themselves with us, no matter mm-hmm. what we say. Definitely agree with that. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your sort of time in commentating. You still commentate, and you sometimes commentate on Rebellion, correct? Yes, I do. Yeah. So can you talk about how you got into that and how commentating has helped you sort of view uh, the evolution of the sport in so, Australia? Yes. Yeah, so again, it goes back to the, the start of cable TV here in Australia. I was approached, um, this is, there was only mainstream TV, terrestrial TV. So cable TV started. Uh, there was a company called Galaxy that was the first, uh, I suppose, branch of it. Then Fox Sports uh, spawned from that. Um, and uh, someone I, that I knew approached me and said, uh, look, these, these uh, networks are coming to Australia. It would be great if we could get you know, Muay Thai kickboxing on. So I approached um, the network head, um, and went through acquisitions, I spoke to him about popularity of martial arts, which is, you know, martial arts in Australia is ranked in the top 10 um, sports, uh, you know, pra- practitioner sports by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So, you know, there's a lot of people that have, a, have some association with some martial arts. Um, so I sold it that way to them. Um, and I said, listen, you know, I'll... And it comes back to, you know, we went to the network and said, just send the camera to one of the shows um, and I'll go uh, with, with Michael Chevallo. Uh, at the time, we both, Michael worked uh, with me. I said, we'll go, we'll commentate it for free. You know, all you got to do is send the camera and have a look at what it is. Um, and that was basically how, how it started. You know, mm-hmm. we went along, um, showed him what the, how exciting, you know, the, uh, the kickboxing was at the time. Um, you know, we, we had a very, very raw and I suppose uh, slightly different commentary style. <laughs> uh, we were already doing it for, you know, videos when, when there were shows here. So the you know, smaller promoters were doing shows here um, on the local scene and they wanted to, they wanted to commentate it. So Michael, Michael started and then I, I come on board. Michael was, I suppose, you know, he was the host and I was the, the expert, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I was a fighter and Michael wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he, he knew, 
you know, you can string words together well <laughs> and uh, build the hype and I, I would explain what people were watching. Mm-hmm. And that was really, you know, going back to the first shows, again, I, I, I pitched to um, Fox Sports to do uh, Hammer Fight Tips because mm-hmm. it was an education process that I knew people would watch grappling and not know what the hell was going on. Right. So I, I every show we do, you know, four or five minute uh, breakdown technique breakdown mm-hmm. and, and, and and explain to the audience this is clinching this is what's dominant this mm-hmm. is what the fighters are trying to do mm-hmm. this is how one fighter will take the other one down so we'd explain the intricacies and educate the viewer as mm-hmm. to what they were watching which then grew the audience and then you had more people engaged with the broadcasts that we uh, that we did over the years that's a definitely a good idea so you know, in terms of the amount of shows have you've done and what promotions you've worked on, uh, what has that been like? Obviously, I have my own promotion, the Warriors Way events mm-hmm. here in Melbourne, and you know, I've worked in conjunction with Lion Fight as well in the mm-hmm. states, and I've taken fighters, my fighters over to fight on Lion Fight, and I manage fighters that you know, uh, Ramesh uh, Habib, uh, who's, who's a Lion Fight world champion mm-hmm. currently. Um, so you know. That side of it, you know, I've worked on it. One of the most proudest things I've done with regards to promoting is um, through through COVID, um, the Warriors Way um, Thailand Families uh, fundraiser. We raised twenty eight thousand dollars, which I'm distributing to to Thailand now to to various fight camps and and organisations to help people through through COVID. So you know, the fact that I did it. I did a lockdown show here in my gym. I've got a pretty big gym, so um, we streamed it live. So if anyone's interested to see that, that's on the Warriors Way uh, Facebook page. You can have a look, watch that full event. And what I did is I, I basically ran from the amateurs to the light, you know, the kids, the light, light contact, the amateur fights to the full tie rules fights. So we both basically showed the pathway of, of how the combat sports work here in, in Melbourne. Uh, I'm currently the president of the uh, Victorian Amateur Martial Arts Association here in, in Victoria. So, you know, we, we do the pat fights and, and I suppose the, the grounding fights for fighters that want to go on to fight pro. So that was, I think, one of the, you know, if I look back on all the shows I've done, and, you know, we've, we've done many titles and I've showcased many fighters and done elimination tournaments and all of that. But I, I think of recent times, I'm most proud of the fact that I can, you know, we did a show and, and we did it as a as a fundraiser and as people were watching the show, they were donating. The broadcast was free and all I asked is uh, for people that were enjoying the foot, you know, watching it to donate something. Um, it, it was good and bad. In some mm-hmm. ways, I'm, I'm very happy I made the money, but I'm somewhat disappointed um, in some ways that there's a lot of people that run around you know, talking about Thai boxing and, and uh, you know, uh, having done, you know, having taken a lot, having taken a lot from Thailand, mm-hmm. that, that I, I weren't weren't so forthcoming in in being a, being a part of it in some ways or, or donating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, you know, we, we've all been to Thailand. If, if you're serious about Muay Thai, you've either learned in some way from a Thai coach, or you've been to Thailand to one of the camps, you've trained alongside these people, you've taken from them. And my thing was, now it's time to give back. A little bit bit for us is a lot over there. Yeah, for Um, sure. And, and, uh, you know, some people really stepped up and and were were so uh, generous. And others, 
Well, they sort of hit a bit. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. For the sake of donating, and, and, and some of them were the ones that run around, you know, with the, you know, with the, with the, with the, uh, the Thai, the Thai, the Thai uh, links uh, talk about their friends in Thailand that they think, that, you know, I uh, would have hoped for a little bit more support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's a little bit of real talk there. Yeah. Uh, for you, you know, I think, you, you know, there's there's too much rubbish spoken about sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and it come, when it comes down to it. You know, you see who's real, and, and I think that was a good way of doing it. But uh, I'm glad that we've made, you know, an exceptional amount of money, a lot more than I thought. Yeah. And we're now able to direct over there to the people in need. So uh, let's go back to the challenger. Uh, obviously, you mentioned it had a big impact on the landscape in Australia, and I would say worldwide. Um, you know, that's definitely how I got a lot of exposure to the sport. I remember seeing Soren Mankong. Uh, at Boone like ages ago and being like, oh, wow. And then, you know, seeing Narapon and uh, Yatsun Klai on my first yep. trip over, I was like, oh, these guys from the Contender Asia. Uh, can you talk about like your part in it? And you, I know you commented and sort of a yep. little bit more about how it impacted Australia. I think, I think it showed for something to be popular, it has to be commercial in some aspects. And I think it commercialised it. You know, Mark Burnett Productions, you know, Mark Burnett, obviously, you know, production company that does The Apprentice and Survivor and all these great TV reality shows. If they take a project on, they, they do it world class, you know. And it made guys like Zidov and Yodsen Klai and Wayne Barr and, you know, um, Jabba and all that. It made them, you know, known, household names in the fight game back then. Oh, that guy, you know, or the Spanish guy or, you know. So... You know, it was a real risk, uh, I think, at the start with uh, and a company called Omni Media out of Singapore with a production company predominantly for it because it was, it was filmed in Singapore, obviously. Uh, Riaz Mehta was the, was the um, you know, he was the, the, the CEO of the company and the producer. Um, and these guys invested, you know, they got some funding, obviously, from the Singapore government, which, you know, you really have to take your hat off to the Singaporean government because, you know, they, they really do fund a lot of stuff in the combat sports to this day. And, and you know, that's that's unheard of, really, from a, from the country, you know, to do that. So, you know, I, I thank them uh, because I think they were, you know, their backing of, this, of the show and the Mark Burnett Productions and everyone involved in it and Stefan and the, the World Muay Thai Council, they, they had a huge impact on, on making Muay Thai become known. You know, if I go back to it, one other aspect of, of, uh, of strategy was uh, I spoke to Stefan about um, there's a lot of footage from Muay Thai from around the world mm-hmm. that, that, that the WMC had. And I said, can you get me some of this footage? You know, I can get it on TV as long as it doesn't cost anything, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. The, networks, the networks would not put any budget to it. But every network needs air needs needs content right so so my, my negotiations with fox sports were listen i'll i'll get footage that is broadcast quality and, and there was footage coming from europe there was footage coming from thailand there was footage from all over the world um that that was facilitated or, or given to me and that was you know, I, I say it again this was given from the wmc were instrumental in this and stefan fox in getting me these master tapes that I ran weekly on Fox Sports, and we called it the Battleground Events. Mm-hmm. So we, we give the series a, a name, we call it Battleground Series, 
And every week, you know, at a certain time, you, you, you would see Muay Thai on Fox Sports mm-hmm. or, or, or on Fuel TV, which was an, a Fox Sports channel. Uh, and that was an extreme sport channel that had, like, you know, uh, motocross and skateboarding and all the extreme sports on there. Um, they, they also put it on that channel. That's an extreme sport. So what I what we did was, through the, the good graces of many promoters that allowed their footage to be released to the network without asking for money and, and via, via Thailand, we started to, to show Muay Thai weekly. Bang, mm-hmm. bang, bang. It was on every week. And people had never seen it before saw some of the best fights mm-hmm. because it wasn't it wasn't a couple of you know guys that didn't know how to how to clinch you know fighting in in a, in a bar it was stadium fights a class fights fighting you know tough Europeans and so on and so forth so that really also created a bit of a groundswell here that popularized Muay Thai mm-hmm. uh, so there, there was a number of things if I if I look back it was the magazine. You know, there was literature that, you know, was in the news agent and the, the, the covers were always dynamic and the fighters were profiled and it was great photography. And it was, you know, Muay Thai from Thailand and it was, you know, the you know, uh, uh, fights, you know, fight profiles of, you know, some of the greats like, you know, Ramon Decker and Rob Carmen and some of these greats, you know. Uh, then we did, you know, the Suckman Coles and, the other, you know, some of the great ties. The story, yeah, the history of Muay Thai was explained in the magazine as well. So there was just a... A pyramid of different um, mediums that were delivering Muay Thai subtly, but in a, in a, in a quality way. Mm-hmm. So that if someone was exposed to it, they're like, man, this, that's a tough sport. This, that's a pretty awesome sport. I want to know more. When's it on? How can I see more of it? Yeah. Who are these fighters? Where can I go? You know, then all of a sudden, you know, a local show pops up. I'm going to go and I'm going to go along and check it out. So it was, it was like, like in all aspects of marketing. You have to have three or four touch points. Right. You know, you've, got have, you've got to have repetition. Repetition. You've got to have, you know, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to be relatable. You know, you've got to engage your audience uh, at different levels at different times, and we did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm proud of being a part of what I think was the biggest time for Muay Thai here in Australia. It was like, to be honest with you, I don't know if it'll ever be that big again. Mm-hmm. So moving from there, let's uh, talk about your gym itself and the history of it. Um, you first started, you had your sort of first location out of your garage in 1995, and then you actually opened the establishment in 2008? That's correct, yeah. So yeah. Uh, 9th of November 2008, I opened a, uh, a full-time facility. Mm. So this was, this is when a lot of gyms, you know, people were testing out of garages or school halls or, you know, there was part-time facilities where, you know, you'd go and be open from, you know, 4 p.m. until 8 p.m., you know, and then there would be, wouldn't be full-time. But the, the having travelled to America, and, when, and I, did, I went and did, did a lot of travelling around the States, full-time martial art facilities were becoming the norm. So people wanted a place where they could go, you know, Pretty much every day, uh, not just two nights a week, and that you know that have that have you know good equipment, uh, so on and so forth. So um, I, I set out. I, I rented about 500 square meters, a factory of 500 square meters, in good position, pretty good position. Uh, I bought a full uh, a full size ring, uh, brand new. Um, had you know bags, had the full size ring, 
and had you know limited weights and cardio, you know, just enough for what fighters would need. And, and it grew, you know, I, I grew from, you know, I suppose 20 members to you know, up to 250 uh, at the original location. Um, and then I thought, you know, I always analyse why people stop training with me or why they leave. Mm-hmm. And a big, a big part of why people would leave was because they just wanted to go to a gym and, and do weights for a while. So, you know, I, although I had like a treadmill and you know, a couple of exercise bikes and a cross trainer and a few weights, I didn't have the full facility, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so I thought, well, uh, I'm going I'm to go now. You know, I'd established myself and it was going quite well. But, you know, it was time to level up. I was, you know, there was members that wanted to just do weights that, they, you know, maybe they didn't want to train toe boxing or boxing anymore. So they just want to go do weights for a while. And I thought, you know what, if I build a weights gym and I have a martial arts gym with it, it's a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. So definitely if you want to just go and do weights, you know, if I've got everything that you would need in the weights gym. I've got, you know, I've got deadlifting stations, I've got Olympic weights, I've got cardio for days. Right. We've got treadmills, we've got cross trainers, we've got exercise bikes, we've got a spin studio, I've got a yoga studio, we do Pilates, we do pump. So mm. I've got basically what is any what any mainstream gym would have. Mm-hmm. And then I've got, you know, the full size boxing ring, you know, we've got 30, 40 bags, I've got an MMA cage, I've got a jiu-jitsu area, I've got an MMA area, you know, so it's really a, a, a one-stop shop for the health and fitness and, and the combat sports here. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and we've still got and we've got a karate dojo attached to it as well. So, yeah. Uh, so which, you know, Shin Karate Dojo, which pays homage to, uh, I suppose, where I started from. And uh, so uh, that's in the new location. So mm. from garage to... to um, Limited risk facility, you know, mm-hmm. right. uh, knowing what my, my worst case scenario was that I had to operate on, to um, basically putting everything I own on the line and, and believing in what I was doing. Uh, if this if this centre didn't work here, um, I would pretty much have lost every, my life savings. And yeah. everything. So, um, you know, I'm lucky that it paid off, but I still I still pretty much work every day till 11 p.m. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I work hard to, to sustain it. And, I love it, but um, it doesn't come easy. Right. And, um, you know, there's so much competition in the health and fitness arena now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, over COVID, I've had five gyms open within 200 meters of my building. So wow. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got about 30 gyms. So I've got I've, I've got over 30 gyms and fitness centers within five kilometers of my front mm-hmm. door. Yeah. So a lot of so choice. Definitely oversupply. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just uh, sort of wrapping things up, I want to focus a little bit about your fight team and who you've developed. You mentioned Ramesh, uh, who is a line fight champion. I'm, of course, familiar with uh, River Daz, who uh, regularly fights on Glory. Uh, what has your fight team been like, and how have they developed over the years? Well, you know, I've always had uh, you know great success with my fighters. Uh, I teach very systematically you know there's some people that may or may not agree with grading systems in Muay Thai but I've formulated um, my grading system of which you know you know there's levels that have to be attained and before you can fight you have to have a good proficiency and a good skill level um, 
We have also established uh, Muay Thai Systems International, which is a teaching system for Muay Thai. That we're now, um, you know, helping other gyms uh, all around the world to integrate in their in their business. So um, that the Muay Thai Systems International is it's proving successful, not only for teaching and getting fighters, um, you know, well skilled, but also for building, you know, for people to build their business to to the level that they want it to be, whatever that may be. Um, I've had guys like um, Chris Harrington, you know, who was 25 fights undefeated. Um, also, you know, uh, national champion. Um, you know, I've had guys like David Bashner. You know, the first when I started teaching Muay Thai, and, and there was a lot of backyard heroes around, people mm-hmm. that were fighting for titles here in Australia, um, that had never left their state or their neighbourhood, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, I was, I said, my first two fighters ever didn't fight in Australia. Mm-hmm. They trained with me to a good level, and I said, we're going to go to Thailand, and we're going to fight in Thailand. Thai rules mm, because mm. I want to test my teaching and I want to test my system not against a, an ill-equipped opponent from another suburb we're going to go to Thailand we're going to try it over there mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Match, we match the boys equally because I'm not going to put them up against you know someone with 200 fights right but someone who's you know of a good, of good skill level um, that will test their ability and you know both those boys won and that was if I got to say what's What's my proudest, <laughs> my proudest achievement? It's got to be that, you know. Yeah, with, with River, I mean, River's trained with me from day one. Never trained with another trainer. You know, he's got the Australian Australian title in Muay Thai. He follows my system. He teaches right now. He's teaching the kids' class. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he trains in my classes. There's no, there's no difference in my gym. We're mm-hmm. all the same here. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. My fighters have to do my classes alongside my other advanced members mm-hmm. so when they have a fight then they do the class and then we do our training after right so there's no there's no difference in class here we all are the same you know we all have to work together because it doesn't matter if you're the best fighter in the world you you, you can't spar yourself you have mm-hmm. to have spar, sparring partners you have to have grappling partners you have to have people that will help you in, in your fight team so in order for me, in order to, to maintain that, I always believe that every fighter has to be also a student. And right. every fighter has to also give back. And if they don't, well, then they don't fight. Right. I, I, you know, it's not, I don't care if I'm standing in the corner with a fighter. There's a lot of trainers that will, yeah, they love to stand in the corner and be on TV. And, you know, that's their, that's their ego trip. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. Absolutely. I'd rather not. Mm-hmm. Because... I have to leave my family. It costs me money to travel overseas. I don't. I've never taken a cent from any of my fighters. Mm. Not a cent. Yeah. They keep their purse. In fact, it costs me money because when we travel overseas and we stay longer, I pay for the hotel and I pay for the tourist stuff afterwards. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, you know, it's not about the money for me. It's not about the ego trip because I've been on TV plenty. So I don't care to be on TV. For two minutes in the corner yelling at a fighter, <laughs> you know that's not my that's not my thing. You know, there's people that that's why they want their people to fight. Yeah. They want to stand in the ring and you know be in front of a crowd. I've done it, been there, done that, and you know, so that none none of that phases me. What I want is that when we fight, we do well. You know, we all, we have we have ninety five percent win ratio when we fight. You know, we we uh, we do well, and and even if we don't win. That doesn't necessarily worry me 
Mm-hmm. As long as my fighters fight with skill and heart and represent the style well. Yeah. Because you can't, you know, that's all that matters to me. It's, you know, I, I have a bit of a different view on, on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I love it. I love the fighting game. When I was, when I was training, that's all I wanted to do is just get in and fight. But then I go back to why did I fight? Mm-hmm. I fought because I loved it, not for the glory, right. not for the money, not for the social media. There was none of that. Right. You know, I, I, I fight in, I fight in front of two people. I fight, I fight <laughs> in front of nobody if it meant I could fight. You know, I fought, I fought because I was what I loved to do, and it was the ultimate test of my skill. Just uh, wrapping things up, you know, obviously you're a big figure in Australian Muay Thai history and the landscape now. Is there stuff that we didn't talk about that you think should be covered in this series? Look, I think uh, I think our biggest threat to, to Muay Thai in Australia right now is, is definitely MMA. Uh, I know for a fact on the broad, on the networks that was the case because uh, the networks had had given airtime and budget to Muay Thai and kickboxing, but the licensing agreements that the UFC have with the major networks uh, pretty much exclude any other combat sport getting any airtime. So, you know, now they put, you know, UFC, you can get Muay Thai and UFC fight pass and stuff, so they've created a, a bit of a window for good events to be showcased. Uh, but our biggest challenge now is, number one, um, now that the fights aren't as prevalent because Muay Thai has, has taken over that, that, that glory, I suppose, for the fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if Muay Thai is to grow, it has to have some system about it. It has to be a bit more unified. You know, you've got sanctioning bodies fighting against each other. You've got belts of various descriptions. You know, and I've had it said to me from the mainstream media, the reason we don't we don't focus on your sport is because it's just too confusing. Mm. There's too many champions. There's too many sanctioning bodies. You know, we don't know what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. If we don't understand it, we can't cover it. Yeah. So the sport needs to be a lot more unified. Um, the, you know, the numbers need to grow because mm-hmm. you can have gyms with two or three people in them that are the best fighters in the world. But who cares? Right. You know, my, my, my gym's got 1,500 members, and they're all going to know about Muay Thai if I do a show. They're all going to know. They're gonna, you know, because they see it, they're immersed in it, they understand it. Mm-hmm. But if, you, you know, you, you have to get the, the popularity around the, the scoop that will then give it exposure. And, you know, things have to be popular before they can become popular, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So we, we, need, we need to be unified. We need to grow. And then, with, and then the events, when, when you have gyms with 2,000 people and they're packed, and mm-hmm. then you do an event, look at CrossFit, you know? Right. How did CrossFit get the CrossFit Games? Because they had all these gyms doing CrossFit first. And then they did the CrossFit Games, and everyone went on, and then it got on TV. Mm-hmm. So there's a classic example of a non-combat sport that is pretty much, in my mind, a little bit boring to watch, but... Still gets more exposure than Muay Thai these days, right? You know, so so there's there's got to be a bit more method, a methodology to, to growing the, 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 the industry because it is it's a business, it's an industry, it's a martial arts, it's a sport, it's all of those things, right? So as such, we need to look at all of those things and go, well, how is a business successful? What makes a sport popular? What is true martial arts? And how do you how do you maintain it as a true martial art? 
So, you know, it comes back to systems. It comes mm. back to, you know, it comes back to, um, you know, promoting things credibly. It comes back to, you know, having credibility around what we do via not having 30 different champions in one weight division. You know? Right. So it, it's, this problem is not a new problem. This is something that's been around for years. And I think when, when you know, the contender and the big events were happening, uh, pre-UFC, we had opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, people perhaps um, have become a bit mentored and, you know, now now it's, now it's a harder job. It's, it's definitely so much more harder. Right. Not only that, you know, with social media, everyone's a hero now. Yeah. You know, some, some, some guy at home doing a spinning kick on the, on the, on the kick, kick bag in his garage, you know, he thinks he's the champion because he gets, you know, 200 mics on the photo. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, spare me, you know. You know, social media has been great for the sport, but it's also been bad as well in some ways. Yeah. Um, because it's become very convoluted. People that are on social media see all these people doing all these tricks and all these things. And there's, you know, there's there's trick martial arts, there's trick fighting, there's there's training drills. Mm. And as you know, there's there's guys that will look like absolute beasts when they train, but punch them in the face once and they can <laughs> fall over. Right. So, you know, so then there's, you know, that can detract from the real warriors that are that are the really credentialed fighters that are out there struggling for that that exposure right. because it is so fr- it's so freely gained and given now on social media. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. Um, I'm really excited to explore more of the Australian Muay Thai history, and I really appreciate uh, all that you've done for the sport. You know, I've definitely. It's impacted me, you know, I mentioned that I saw international kickboxer back like, you know, 12 years ago. And, you know, I appreciate all you've done for the sport. No, no, thank you for your time and uh, for taking interest in, uh, in talking to me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope that everyone that listened to this uh, has enjoyed it. And hopefully has a little bit of an education <laughs> with, with regards to, to the whole lot. So that was a great interview. I definitely learned a lot from it. I do think he was a little tangential at times, but definitely with some words of wisdom, you know, things to incorporate, you know, different perspectives, different time periods, different just outlooks on life was always, always very, very important. And again, Mark has a lot of experience in the game. He's been around for a long time. So I think he knows what he's talking about a lot of times. So thanks you, as always, for listening. Um, this was the first in a series on Muay Thai history in Australia. So excited for further episodes. I think I will be interviewing Darren Reese next or Kaylee Reese from Riddler's Gym out in Perth. So excited for that. And this has been On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. This show was edited by Effie Ceruti. You can find me on Instagram at Effie underscore FC or on Facebook at Effie Ceruti.